May we be reminded that you deserve every hallelujah that we have to offer. We love you, Father. We praise you, Father. We place you back on the throne where you rightfully belong, Father. And we confess we don't know it all and we can't do it all, Father. We are weak and we are feeble. Restore the faith that has been stolen from our people and from our church members. Replace any fear and any doubt with faith and with boldness so that we may sing and that we may mean it when we sing it that our God is champion and you forever reign you're undisputed champion you're the undefeated champion there's no one has even come close to dethroning you Satan himself has to answer to you, Father. That is the God that we serve. Nobody can stand in the ring with you. No disease can stand in the ring with you. No oppression can stand in the ring with you. No hopelessness can stand in the ring with you. No sin can stand in the ring with you. No lostness can stand in the ring with you. You reign and you are above all things, Father. You are champion. The undisputed, undefeated. And you always remain champion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Welcome to another Sunday together. I am here with some of our staff. They are practicing social distancing, and so they are kind of spread out here throughout the sanctuary. But nonetheless, we miss you all and miss you greatly. I first want to say hello to um, several people. Um, but first, let's say hi to Greenlaw Baptist Church. They are viewing with us from Flagstaff, so give them a round of applause. Right in the comment box right there on Facebook, would you comment, hello, Greenlaw Baptist Church, to our South Campus. Give our South Campus a shout out as well. All of the college students, all of the sweet saints in our church, so glad to be back with you. And this, praise God, praise God. The last three weeks, we have seen 38 people give their lives to Christ. So give them a round of applause. And if you're wondering, how does this work? Did it stick? Is it real? It is. It sticks and it's real. God can do anything he wants to. Our staff have been working incredibly hard to be sure that we follow up with these people who are getting saved. And so what you are going to see, hopefully in the time to come, um, is pictures on our social media page. We are getting ready to put Bibles together for those who have received Christ and they have called in and our staff has called them and they're asking for Bibles, which is the first step. And we are going to walk with them. We're going to mail them Bibles. And so we're going to continue to walk with them as they walk out their faith. So if you are listening and you are one of those who have given your life to Christ, we are so unbelievably proud of you. Okay? So church, if you have your Bibles, you have your iPad, 
you have your cell phone, I want you to grab your Bible and type in the comment box on the count of three, say word, one, two, three, word. So I know this is gonna be at the forefront of what we're doing this morning. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. This is known as Palm Sunday, okay? Now, Matthew 21, we're gonna cover 11 verses. Uh, It's all about Jesus's entry. The first day of really Passion Week before he gets crucified. So here's what we are going to see. Really several things. We're going to take a look at the city in which this is taking place. It has great significance during this time. We're also going to take a look at the crowd. The people that were involved during this time with the Passover and the Passion Week. Then the third thing is the Savior. We're going to take a look at how the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came in and entered during this time. So if you would turn to Matthew 21 and listen to this. Verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, verse 5, he is quoting Zechariah, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, and the fall of a beast of burden. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, let me first tell you what's going on. Jesus comes into this city, and during this time, It's during the Passover, so there are literally, scholars believed, 400 to 500,000 people that really have come from everywhere. They've taken journeys from all around to come here for this festival. So now you see Jesus coming in on a donkey. Now, I want us to give give us a very clear visual I know sometimes it's hard to visualize this, so I have a very short video clip I'm going to want you to see. And when you see this, I want you to really pay attention to several things. I want you to just to take a look at just find one person in the audience during this time. Now, obviously, this is a movie, so it's not the actual people. But I want you to focus on one person, and I want you to see their excitement. I want you to see how they were so excited for this, this leader this Messiah to come in. And I want you to realize something else, that amongst all the four to 500,000 people that were there, every single 
person had an expectation of Jesus. Every single person had an expectation of Jesus and their expectations were about to be shattered. Take a look at this clip. Now it's a short clip, but if you can visualize, think about this. Where they were in the city, they were in Jerusalem. Now, what I just told you about the city was, this was a time where four to 500,000 people came together for the Passover. It was a Passover festival, so what they would do is they would remember when God brought them out of captivity. So they looked at the past, but then looked towards the future. They remembered what God pulled them out of, and they were expectant and hopeful for what God was going to do. They were waiting on this Messiah, this leader, this militant leader who would come and overthrow Rome and come fight for them. And so when they saw Jesus coming in, four to 500,000 people, they, they gathered together, I'm sure, with all adoration, with all expectation about what he was going to do for them. They were so expectant that he was going to do something great. I want you to see what the people ended up doing. Listen, they were so expectant. Listen to what the crowd did. Listen to what the crowd, how the crowd responded. Verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd, listen to the crowd, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others, others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David. With this word, Hosanna means Save now. Save us now. Hosanna, 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 the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So let me give you a visual of what's going on. Jerusalem, the Passover festival. People journeyed from everywhere. 
four to 500,000 people. They probably had some idea that this man Jesus was, was coming in. And as Jesus came on this donkey, as, as you saw from the video and from scripture, people had palm branches and they would put them on the floors and they would wave them at him. These palm branches represented victory. It was a sign of success. It was a sign of victory. So what these oppressed people were doing was saying, finally, we're going to be on top. Finally, we're going to win. Finally, we have a leader who's going to do what we want him to do. And really, in their own minds, they looked at Jesus as a savior, and they really molded him in their own minds and defined him in their own minds the way they thought he should come and the way they thought he should lead them. It was all going to be shattered. So he comes in and they give him all adoration. They give him all praise, all loyalty. In fact, when they throw their cloaks on the ground, you see from 2 Kings, this is a sign of loyalty. Here's what they're saying. You not only are our victor, we not only have success, palm branches, here we go, praise God, we're going to win this thing. Then you have others saying, we're going to throw our cloaks on the ground. What this means is we are completely loyal to you. Get this picture. We're throwing the cloaks. We're waving the palm trees, victory, cloaks, loyalty. We're going to be loyal to you. You are our king. We're going to praise you. Hosanna, come save us. We're oppressed. We're stuck. Come save us. And what saving meant for each individual person was something different. It's amazing. These exact same people who are praising Jesus, these exact same people are saying, I will be loyal to you no matter what. These exact same people who are idolizing Jesus are the same ones that will crucify Jesus. I want you to see how fickle the human heart is. When the leader doesn't do what they think the leader should be doing, they go from idolizing to crucifying. They go from idolizing to crucifying because Jesus did not do what they thought he should have done. He was coming in peace to save all of humanity, yet they wanted him to come in war. So I want you to think about this for a minute. If you've ever heard of the Edelman Trust Barometer, Here's what it is. The Edelman Trust Barometer measures people's faith and how they place it in leading authority. So, for example, in the year 2000, here's where it started. Uh, it began in 2000 as a way to measure what people think about certain institutions. So they measured the government, the business, nonprofits, and the media. In 2017, they saw that there was a 50% decline that people had in the way they looked and trusted in the faith they placed in these organizations. So what they gathered is over time, there is a huge decline in trusting leaders. There's a huge skepticism that comes with following leaders. Do you know what the common reason why they said they have been losing faith in leaders? They've been losing trust in leaders. Here's one common phrase they all had. Here it is. Because they believe that none of the groups do what's right. Think about that. 
a huge decline for the church, a huge decline for the government, a huge decline for the media. There are these huge declines in how people trust these organizations, a huge decline in how they put their faith in them. Why? Because people do not think that they are doing the right things. What is the right thing? Well, it depends on who you ask. In here, when Jesus came in, they were praising him, full faith, full trust, full authority, because they thought he was going to do the right thing. The problem is every individual had in their mind what exactly was the right thing. Jesus was not coming to fulfill their right thing. He was coming to fulfill his father's thing. That looked a lot differently from what they had in mind right now. So I'll make this very practical. Think about what's happening right now. Everybody's looking for a leader. Everyone's looking for an answer. When do we start school back up? Parents are saying, hopefully, very soon. Please, Lord, come back soon. Some are saying, hey, when do we go back to church? When do we go back to work? When do we, and the questions go on, and everybody has their own thought process on what the right answer is. But I want to remind you of something. As you have heard the song that we sing over and over and over and over, that God is champion and God is on his throne. What that means is even if we don't deem things to be the right thing, we can have confidence that God is still in control over all things. So when we don't feel like the right thing is being done, we can have confidence that God is still over all things. And for the believer, that should bring us extreme, extreme confidence that God is still in control God is still sovereign, and God is still God. I want you to pause right there, because these are cliche statements. These are very cliche statements when we always say, God's on the throne, but I'm really worried. Those two things don't make sense. God on the throne, the reality of that should release worry, to be reminded he's in control. Now listen to what happens. We saw Jerusalem, we saw the people, let's look at the Savior, I want us to take a look at three things when it comes to the Savior. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, I want you to know that up to this point, Jesus has really suppressed his public really announcement of being the Messiah. He is He's always said, it's not my time yet. Now this is in complete contrast. Now he wants to come in. He wants it to be known. He wants this to take place, and therefore it is taking place. So much so that he is in control of everything that is going on. Look at verse 2. He tells them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. So he is telling them, listen, here's what I want you to do. Here's what's going to happen Here's what I want you to say. Then they're going to release the thing. Now, what he is doing in this scripture, verse 2 and verse 3, he is really uh, exposing his divinity, meaning he knows all things. He knows all things before they take place, and he has power of all things before they take place. So in this simple verse, verse 2 and 3, he is exposing his divinity to his disciples. I'm going to remind you one more time that I am God in the flesh. I'm going to remind you one more time that I know all things. 
I am over all things. I have power over everything, everybody, and all of nature. Verse 2 and verse 3, he's reminding them, I am divine. I am going to tell you the future. You ready? I'm going to tell you the future. You're going to go. You're going to see a donkey. You're going to see a colt. They're going to ask, why do you need this? You're going to tell them the Lord needs it. This wasn't a kind of need that Jesus was tired. The Mount of Olives were only two miles away from Jerusalem. We have never seen another piece of scripture where Jesus is riding a donkey or a colt. You never see that. This is the first time we see Jesus getting on a donkey. So when it says that Jesus needs it, it's not because he's weary. So his divinity, he exposes by letting them know, I know the future. Now I want you to see what happens next. Here is why he needs it. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Verse 5, Zechariah 9.9, which was spoken by the prophet four to five hundred years prior to this incident. So what Jesus is saying is, I am the fulfillment of all of Scripture. And so what he is saying is, I am in control of all of this. I control how I fulfill Scripture. I control when I'm crucified. I and the Father are one. I'm in control of all of it. So now we see his sovereignty. Who's in control? God is in control. So verse 5, he is fulfilling this. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a beast of burden. So again, in Zechariah, he is fulfilling this passage. So the need there is not for weariness. Uh, The need really is for holiness. He is fulfilling the pure and holy things of Scripture. Now, I want you to take a look at what else we see. Uh, His humility. Take a look at the way Jesus comes in. Uh, This is Jesus. This is God in the flesh. This is, he could have come in any way that he wants to. He could have made a huge deal about this. He could have come in gold. He could have come in extreme royalty. But instead, he comes in all humility. He came on a donkey, an animal that was normally used to serve. This animal represents, when kings would would come in towns on donkeys, the donkey represented that they come in peace, that they don't want to fight. They don't want to go to war with people. They come in peace. Now, it's amazing because Jesus comes on a donkey in peace. But when you look at the book of Revelation, when he comes back in his second coming, he comes on a horse. On a horse means that it's time for war. So if Jesus would have come on a horse this time, he would have been telling them it's time for war. But in all humility, he comes on a donkey. He comes on a colt. Then here's what it says that happens to the city as he comes this way. It says that the whole city was stirred up. So I want you to think about this. In in Matthew chapter 2 verse 3, when Jesus is born, Matthew chapter 2 verse 3 says that everybody was troubled. Now you see in Matthew chapter 21 verse 10, now everybody is stirred. Jesus tends to do that when he comes on the scene. And they begin to ask the question, 
Who is this? And the crowds begin to shout, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, they probably didn't expect him to do what he was going to do next. He, he comes on a donkey. He comes in peace. People are cheering him. And then he begins to cleanse the temple. So we see the city. We see the crowd. We see the Savior. And here's what I want to remind us about the kind of Savior that we serve. I really want us to refocus our minds on something. That he is divine, as we see in Scripture. He knows the past, present, future. He is sovereign. Do you recognize that even all of this that we're going through, God is still in control? God is still in control. And we see this Savior come in all humility to make peace with humanity. So this morning, church, I just want to encourage you I want to give you a word to be reminded of who we serve. I want to give you a word to be reminded that who is sovereign, who is divine, and who is God. So this morning as we getting ready to close our scriptures, would you just rejoice in the fact that he's in control? And as I said before, listen, when the church is pressed, the kingdom is expanded. And so that's the kind of God we can place all of our trust in. I'm not going to be surprised. I am not going to be surprised one bit if the church, the universal church, explodes after all this is said and done. I'm not going to be shocked. That's how God works. He's going to build his church. Now here's the thing. When things are going good, be sure you don't go from Hosanna, praise him. And things end up going bad. And you start saying, crucify him. Because even when things are going bad and things aren't going the way we planned, I encourage you to stay on your knees when things are high and when things are low and continue the phrase, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Because he is worthy of all our praise. And it should never be circumstantial praise. It should always be the praise that is based off of who he is. So church, I want to encourage you. Stay singing Hosanna. Keep praising his name. I love you. I'm proud of you. And we'll see you next week. God bless. I didn't feel like going into an invitation. Is that okay? <laughs> I wasn't feeling too preachy today. <laughs>